Welcome to Did You Know, a podcast for Magnolia ISD educators. My name is Kimberly Thompson, and I am the Secondary Digital Learning Specialist. And I'm Kristen Oldham, and I support our elementary campuses with digital learning. And welcome to our third episode. Well, as we say goodbye to 2022, we know we have to clean up our Canvas courses. So we'll... Will teachers have the same courses that they have right now? Yes, of course they will. And no, they can't, right? So we have semester-long courses. So all semester courses, which include dual credit courses, will get new courses in January. So if you have your your year-long course, you'll just keep working there, and that one will be updated. All the other ones, new course. But you can copy this year's content straight away over into the new course. Just we have to be careful to make sure that we don't mess up the dates. Um, For example, in January, and if you copy your content over and there's a due date from October, we don't want the kid on the first day to think they have a late assignment. So we got to watch how we copy those over. Uh, The Canvas courses will conclude for students on December the 16th at 11.59 p.m. and teachers will have access to work on grades until January the 3rd at 11.59. On the 4th, new new courses will be delivered to those, those semester-long courses. Um, also in the newsletter, we have a whole section on ways to power up your Canvas courses. So there's some things to think about and Kristen's really been working with some of the elementary campuses on this and I love to hear some of the things that they're doing. But Our Canvas courses, they are our websites for our parents, for our students. That is our main mode of posting communication about our classroom. So we want to make sure that everybody's got that updated on their homepage. Uh, It is a fantastic spot to teach digital skills. Also in our Canvas courses, we can model um, we can model instruction in our classroom and, and, and learning um, videos. We can put those on there for the parents to look at with the kids at home. And you had, you have a teacher doing that quite a bit right now, right? We do. Yes. She's been making some amazing videos and just the help that it lends to the parents at home to help their student be successful has been a great feedback from those parents. Because again, we as parents don't always know how to help our students in the classroom, maybe we don't know the exact content that they're covering right now, or we don't know those exact math steps that I should be teaching to my student at home. But if I'm able to access a model video via Canvas from my teacher, then I can be more successful at home in teaching my student the right way on how to, whether it be, um, you know, completing a math problem, or Uh right now they're working on these extended essays, how to format that essay, what all needs to be in an essay for, you know, third and fourth graders. So just little things like that can definitely help if, you know, your parents can get that information and really see that in action. Yeah. We also have on here to look at your discussions and reflections. That's one of my favorite things to do in Canvas for those discussions and have, have the kiddos communicate either with text or with video in, in Canvas discussions. I love those. Uh, we can do exit tickets in there. You can It can be the quiz or an assignment either way. Um, you can also do a, a video quiz. 
um, stations. I know you've been working on stations with some of your campuses too. What's going on with that? We have. So station accountability. How am I holding my student accountable for the stations that they're completing in class? I'm working with my independent group, pulled up my small group table, have these students working on a variety of different stations out in the classroom. How can I know that one, they've completed the activity, but then what was their understanding and their takeaway from that activity? So it can be a, something as simple as, like you said, an exit ticket or the student recording themselves, explaining how they completed the station and what did they learn from this station. Mm -hmm. And that's a quick little review for the teacher to see, you know, did they understand what was going on in that station or is this something that I need to reteach or recover with that student whenever I pull them up into small group. So again, super easy to review right there in SpeedGrader. All the videos are compiled together. A teacher could just click through to really get a better understanding of you know, what those students are doing during that station time. Yeah, and I love that because our very next point of promoting student choice and voice are all those things that we can we can do in, in station. So we as a digital learning team are excited about opportunities to work with our teachers in, in designing their courses to be able to do all these things in there. Um, we want to we want to hear that student voice, too. Absolutely. Yep. Um, we included on the newsletter an infographic made by a fantastic educator in KDISD, Stephanie Jordan, of different things that you can do to clean up your your Canvas course. Please reach out if you if you need any help with that. Um, obviously, we, we need to check our links. That seems to be the thing I've been hearing about the most are, are, are broken links. Um, you do not have to delete any of your old courses. That, that will happen for the semester courses all on its own. They don't get deleted. They get concluded. So they're still there. You don't lose any content. Um, and you can also clean, create your master course or clean up your master course a little bit. So in the newsletter, we talked a little bit about the difference between a sandbox and a shell course. Typically in Magnolia, we call them a shell course. And they're both fantastic little tools for people to build and to play in in Canvas before the kids see it in their course. A sandbox is more for the individual to go in there and build, play where other people aren't looking at it and copying things out of there. Whereas the shell course, which I'm seeing these get built more and more lately, it is your course, it's, it's, a, it's a copy of it for you to organize and probably share with a team where everybody can go and get that content and share it out to their courses with their, with their students. So when we talk about sandbox versus shell course, that's the difference. One's for you. It's your draft of, of building your content. And the other one is designed and organized how it will appear for your kids and probably shared with a, with a team. Yeah, in elementary, we've had more and more teams reaching out and asking, can they have a course where they can all collaborate together? This way, they're all contributing to what content is going into Canvas. They're building, they're then putting it into this shared team course. Mm -hmm. And then once everybody has contributed, they'll then take those individual pieces that they want to share out with their own students in a timely manner, whatever fits for their classroom scope and sequence. So those have, those are becoming more popular at the elementary level. Those, I guess I would call them like team courses. Yeah. So we, we also have to do some cleanup and aware. Yes. So aware, our best friend, um, <laughs> It's a fantastic program for students to really learn these assessment uh, platform of the assessment tools that they can use inside, not only AWARE, but 
those that mimicking campion as well. However, um, at this time of the year, we notice that the students are beginning to have many tests show up in their view in aware. Mm -hmm. So it may be something that maybe they took during the first nine weeks, or maybe it's something that they've taken recently, but it's still showing up in their view. So a couple of different ways to tackle this. You can either go in and change the end date on that assessment so that that assessment closes for that student and it, you know, where it gets removed off of the student view, or you can, what we recommend is going in and just archiving that assessment. You're not going to lose the assessment. You're not going to lose any of the data on the assessment. You're still going to be able to see it just as you do now. However, once it's archived, one, it's again, removed from the student view, but then it's also cleaned up for you. Mm -hmm. So whenever you go in to turn on a test or to look at the test that you have, you're not having to search through this giant list <laughs> and go down this rabbit hole of all of these different assessments because the way Edgephoria has it, you know, um, organized in there is you have your pending assessments. Those are the ones you're working on and you're adding content to. Then you have your active assessments. Those are the ones that students are most likely either taking or about to take. And then you have your archived assessments, which again are those who that you've already administered to your students and they're going to live in that archive. So whenever you're going through your pending and your active, you don't have to worry about those cluttering your view either. Mm -hmm. Love that. And if you archive too early, you can always just put it back active again. Right. Yep. It's it, just one click. You do the little drop down box and it's pending, it's active or it's archived. Mm -hmm. So uh, very easy to take it out of archive if you need it again or for whatever reason you need to re-administer the test. Yeah. If we if we have a theme for, for every year that we work, this school year for me so far is definitely new question types. Yes. In in aware. So in the newsletter, we included a um, it's a a presentation from aware where they show the student view of each of these new question types. So the, the teacher view and the student views are very, very different in aware. And what I like about this is we as you know as test authors can go in and see what this is going to look like for the kids. So we have uh, there's a link in there you can click and it will open it up and you can see every different question type and what it will look like for the kids. The one in the newsletter shows drag and drop. If you click on that, you can it'll open it up and you can look at each of the different question types. I think it's very, very helpful to see it, how the, how the kiddos will see it. Absolutely. And even um, just looking at the way the students interact with this specific question type, but also looking at the outer perimeter of all of the tools that the students are able to use. So mm -hmm. You can see they have like the zoom feature, the add a note feature. Mm -hmm. um, they can flag this question if they need to. They have a question guide. So at the bottom, you know, it shows the student if they've actually answered that question or maybe if they've skipped it or if they flagged it. Um, color overlays that they have, their speak options. So a lot of tools around that outer perimeter that you can see from that student view and really be able to teach those students on how to use these tools. And then again, you know, continue into how to use the actual interactive question as well. Mm -hmm. And it's got the it's got the talking head on there. Yep. <laughs> so the kiddos who get those supports can click that talking head and, and hear that read to them. But we also have, I don't know if everybody knows this. 
I don't think so. I feel <laughs> like um, with my elementary crew, like this is something that I've been talking about a little bit more and a little bit more as I visit campuses and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize that Canvas also offers us the option to practice with these new question types. So you don't have to build a full-blown assessment in Edgeforia for your students to practice some of these new question types. You can give them, you know, onesie, twosie little questions in Canvas where they can practice and again, build out using those new question types with uh, Canvas's new quizzes. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful. You can, you know, create those drag and drop opportunities, that um, multi-select opportunities. Mm -hmm. They can even do constructed response in Canvas as well. So there's a lot of different uh, interactive questions that you can build inside that platform where the students can utilize and practice those new question types. I think it's good for them to see the different question types in different platforms too, because Cambium's going to change things. The state's going to change things. We have to become, you know, good at our skills, our digital skills too, not just just learning aware. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Being able to really know how to use those in, in different situations and know that it's going to look a little bit different, mm -hmm. but it's going to act the same way. Mm -hmm. And I also just like to take a little break from aware every once in a while. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, next part up in the newsletter are different different supports that, that our kiddos have access to on different platforms and on Chromebooks itself. So biggest news lately about supports has been that speech to text is now available in aware so super excited about that speech to text there's, there's not a ton of, of kiddos who have that um, but it has to be turned on for the student once it's turned on the kids can use that in constructed response questions only and but we we have to be careful we can't use that feature with lockdown browser so it's there, and I'm sure Aware will have it updated soon as well. But right now, it's got to be turned on. Constructive response, no lockdown browser. Um, anything else about that, Kristen? And we definitely recommend that when a support is turned on, that your designated campus uh, support manager is turning these on in the student profile. Mm -hmm. Instead of maybe having the teachers toggle on every single time, um, once it's turned on in the profile, it sticks for every test they take. So that's definitely a recommendation um, if that's a possibility on your campus. But yeah. it, once it's turned on again, it'll stick for all of the tests that the students take in. So we don't have to worry about it accidentally being missed or not toggled on. Yeah, please reach out to your academic coordinator or testing coordinator on your campus to get those to get those turned on. They'll they'll know who the person is that turns those on for for your specific campus. We also have a couple of videos on what some of these where these tools are, where the kids have to click, etc. Um, we have a, a video on all the different ways speech to text can be used in our platform. So it starts out with CoWriter. Um, which is an extension that's pushed out to all student Chromebooks, and, and it lets the teachers see where the kids have to click. And this video, of course, can be shared with students as well. So it starts with CoWriter, and then we move on to the built-in dictation in on Chromebooks. So if you go and you click on the clock in the bottom right-hand corner of a Chromebook, so not, not a teacher PC, but at a Chromebook, 
click on the clock and then click accessibility. Some of the older versions, um, you may have to click on settings before you find accessibility, but um, all the new ones, it's time and then accessibility. And then you can click on dictation. So wherever you can type, it will it'll go speech to text for you. Also in Google Docs, there is voice typing. Um, but it's not everywhere in Google or everywhere in Chrome, but it does work in Google Docs where they can just go to tools and click voice typing and then speech to text there. And then the last one is, of course, the speech to text in, in aware. So we have all those options to use speech to text. And there's a video showing the kids experience with that one. Mm -hmm. I really like those native Chromebook accessibility mm -hmm. tools because you can use them with so many of our different platforms. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be, you know, Google specific or anything right. like that. Um, you can just turn it on. And like you said, wherever they can type, then that is um, that resources available for them. And it's free. Yes. <laughs> and on every Chromebook. So well, that's we, great. We like free. There's another video in the newsletter where it shows those those native tools, the speech to or the select to speak. In on a Chromebook they call it select to speak uh, for text to speech and then dictation. Also there's a little uh, a brief part about a website called Rewordify which will simplify text. If kiddos are reading and have a hard time understanding, maybe it's a higher level for them and they want to really understand the text, they can copy and paste it into rewordify.com and it will simplify. There's several other options on there for teachers as well. Uh, if you put text in there, you can create closed activities and, and all, all kinds of stuff with rewordify.com. So check out that website when, when, you, get some, when you get some time. Mm -hmm. um, we also created a, a GIF of, we'll let you tell them, Kristen. So with our students who receive our speech to text, um, no, text to speech, text to sorry, speech, yeah. text to speech. <laughs> I do it all the time. I know, right? <laughs> um, we talked earlier about really exposing our students to these different platforms uh -huh. because these options are going to look different. So the GIF really shows you, it gives you a little breakdown of where does a student need to click in Edgeforia for text-to-speech to, to work for them? And then what does it look like in Cambium? Because it's definitely different. And mm -hmm. even us sitting here it opening time. Cambium for the first time, um, it took us a minute to figure out, well, how do I get this to read this question in these yep. answer stems? And finally, we were like, oh, here it is. You mm -hmm. have to click on these three lines and then you have to turn it on or you have to tell it to read this question or, or read this, the answers. Um, so again, just exposing the students to a variety of ways um, to use all of these tools is going to be helpful because it's not always going to be the same for every single platform. Um, but we definitely wanted to show you the difference in Edgeforia and Cambium since we know those they're going to spend a lot of their time there um, with assessments. Yep. One of my favorite updates ever has is in is in Canvas, and you'll see on the newsletter three three steps and clicking is not cool, but you know what's cool. One step. <laughs> One step is cool. Justin Timberlake's kind of cool too. <laughs> so yeah, so basically now if you have Canvas open, you can go pull a picture and another tab off of the page, just drag it and drop it. You don't have to hit that upload and save and do all that other business anymore. It is a, a one step drag and drop. I'm hoping that's going to save everybody some clicks and some time. So there's some instructions on there and there's a video 
on there, you can click and open made by canvas showing you how the drag and drop feature is going to to work. I'm super excited about that one because having to upload all of that download, then upload and then, you know, bring it into your canvas course. I am super excited because this is just going to cut our time in half when designing some of these canvas courses and really, you know, putting information out there for our kids and our parents. So super excited about that one. Because how many times have we dragged and dropped a picture into our course and it shows up for us, but it doesn't show up for anybody else. Yes, yes. <laughs> tiny little window into nowhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm super excited and, and I really hope it works in all aspects. So mm. I'm ready to, ready to trial it out. Yeah, we also have on here some um, a library of templates from Bulb. And as a reminder, our stu all students grades 7 through 12 have a Bulb account and they can add stuff, you know, from their hobbies, their pastimes, their, their, their life, or they can add things from classes. They can document their learning on there and they get to keep this portfolio for the rest of their lives. So I encourage you all to use it. I'm here for you. If you need templates built, let me know. If you have one ideas, let me know. If you're at West, please reach out to Mr. Huff. He's a strong bulb user there. Um, Magnolia Junior High is absolutely rocking the usage with with bulb. I'm excited to see some of their some of their work in bulb. But I included a link on there. If you click on the little picture that says bulb on it, if you it'll take you to the library of templates. And uh, kids just need some time. Just give them some. Give them some time. Maybe your early finishers, maybe they can go work in, in Bulb. You can give them a template or just tell them to go and create. Also, our GT students. Yes, three our students and up. in reach for three and third, third grade and fourth grade, um, they have Bulb as well. So we've definitely seen a lot of their projects being mm -hmm. displayed in there and just, you know, documenting their learning and the process they've gone through with a lot of their projects. So it's really neat to be able to reflect and go back and see, you know, your growth throughout, whether it be just from one first nine weeks to last nine weeks, or even from last year to this year, really the students being able to document and view that growth. And then it's also great for the parents as well. Mm -hmm. Like what a great way to keep your students work and, and their hard work that they've put into some of their things that they have done in school without you know, having to get that old dusty tote out with all of those, you know, worksheets and handmade projects and stuff. That's like, even if they made it home. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I would love to have a digital portfolio of my kids' stuff. It would be amazing. I'm super excited that I, that's the one thing I, I have on, on my Luke who graduated in 2022, just last May, is his, his poetry unit and uh, during the time of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, we have that, so that, that memory for forever and he doesn't like poetry. So this will be <laughs> the, the, the only poetry you probably ever will have ever done. Anyway, so I'm excited to have that. So you and I are both reading that blended learning book. Yes. The one by Casey Bell and it's fantastic. Blended learning with Google, I believe yes. is the official title. Yes. That, and I, I read chapter one, I don't know, a little over a week ago, I think. And I just was so motivated. I started tearing through my handouts from ICLE and, and looking into some things and, and making copies for all of us, <laughs> actual paper copies. Right. I was motivated by that. I, I like to think that, well, all, all quadrants are very, very important. We can't, we can't do everything at high rigor. Sometimes we got to do some things at low rigor and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
with tech, same way. We got to do some things that are lower tech. And we also want to try to start moving up in the quadrants in our tech usage. So in the newsletter, we included a quiz. So you can quiz yourself. Well, and I'm quizzing you too, because I'm going to get to see the responses. But quiz yourself and see what you think, where these these digital skills fall on rigor and relevance and, and higher higher rigor with what, what, what the kids are building, which is usually creating, right? The higher you go with creation, the higher you're going to get with your with your quadrants. Um, without divulging any answers to our quiz, anything stand out with you, Kristen, on that? I'm just looking at the different ones that you'd put on here and really trying to gauge, like, where are our students? Where do we think our students are? And where is this going to fall? So I'm anxious to get the results back to really see, mm-hmm. you know, are they having opportunities to use some of these different skills in the classroom? And if they're not, then what are some ways that we can incorporate this to yeah. continue to climb that ladder? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, there's a couple things on there where I was like, I need to do that better just in my profession. And, and I'm sure there's other educators out there too, who could probably use a little refresher course on how to search with the advanced settings right little absolutely little things like that so i'm i'm encouraged to be able to work with other educators in the district on on increasing our own rigor in some of the digital skills that that we have so looking forward to the results and don't hesitate to reach out Mm -hmm. and if you ever have an idea or an activity and you want to incorporate some of these digital skills like we're happy to work right alongside you or just send us over your ideas and we're happy to even help create. Um, It's one of the best things about our job is the design part. So if you're like, hey, you know, I have this paper pencil activity, but I would really love it to be digital so that I can incorporate some more of, you know, these tech skills, then let us look at it. We're happy to look, we're happy to give feedback, or we're happy to, you know, be right there with you in the design and the creation of it. Mm -hmm. So, Including podcasting. Did you know that, did you know that your students can podcast for free, just like we are right now, uh, if you ever want to do that. And I wonder, hmm, I wonder where that is in the quadrants, A, B, C, or D. We'll let you figure that out later. Um, Some of the best feedback I've gotten recently has been on these learning in the loose. I'm hearing about it on every every campus. So we, we included the tissue number two on there. Um, lots of feedback, QR codes on there. Um, if you have an idea of something that you think would be great to include on a learning in the loo, please reach out to Kristen or I, we will get it put on there. Um, yeah. What do you think, Kristen? You're hearing lots of things. I'm hearing great things. So whenever I go on campuses that, you know, they've seen one of the learning in the loo, they're like, oh, this was an amazing <laughs> idea. And I use this, you know, at this date or this time, or because I use this, I was able to, you know, do these extra things. But one of the things that actually led me to this week was I had a teacher reach out and say, she it was actually from our first learning in the loo that she learned how to open a tab Mm. that a student had closed very quickly and she actually wanted some more shortcuts Mm -hmm. on you know with the chromebook so that led us to the next thing that's on our newsletter and it's the chromebook tips and tricks so this idea for 
this Chromebook tips and tricks came from that teacher who again saw something on learning in the loo who wanted to learn more about shortcuts. So whenever you receive the newsletter, you'll see that when your students are being students and they flip your their Chromebook screen around and you don't know how to rotate it back what? or they put it in a different language and you're not sure how to put it back in English or, you know, whichever language they, they need. Mm -hmm. um, here are some shortcuts, some keyboard shortcuts on how to remedy some of those issues that we see usually on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I know whenever I was a librarian in the library, the students would come in and, you know, use my Chromebooks at free will, you know, whatever they needed to do. But there are many times that I would go back through them or another student would bring me and say, oh, you know, the screen has been flipped or mm -hmm. the or it's been magnified or mm -hmm. the cursor is gigantic and they didn't know how to fix it. So <laughs> I was constantly fixing the Chromebooks um, and setting them back to basically like their default settings. But I it's definitely helpful to have just that little guide. Yes. And this is you can print it out and post it in your classroom so you don't even have to remember. Um, but maybe keep it behind your desk so the kids don't start flipping all the screens around right now. I so could have used this in the in the classroom because my process was once I saw that flip screen was, oh, do a tech ticket and then wait for Miss Nort to come upstairs and then us both to giggle with what the kids did. And then she would she would take it and she would fix it and then she would she would bring it back. So now you have this. So you can just click a couple buttons and and hopefully fix it. Absolutely. And if there's ever anything else out there that you see would be helpful for you, like little one pagers, um, let us know. Again, mm -hmm. we love to create whatever is going to be most helpful in your classroom. So if it's something as simple as keyboard shortcuts or mm -hmm. if it's something more dynamic that you want to do inside Canvas or Seesaw or any of our other platforms, mm -hmm. let us know and we're we're happy to help. Yep. So at the end of the day, when y'all call us for help, chances are we're learning things too. Absolutely. <laughs> Every day. What does Kim say? Every day I learn something new in Echephoria. Every day. <laughs> Every day. I did this morning. I sat down with Alana Wood and she taught me a couple of buttons, which I've seen them. I've just not clicked them before. We went through that and she was very excited to teach me something and aware. And I'm sure that tomorrow I will learn something, something new tomorrow as well. And it's time for Jerry's gem. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Kim. Um, this week's gem is, I would like to highlight the fact that this week, according to TCEA, TCEA is EdTech Appreciation Week. EdTech is a very broad term, but it encompasses all the professionals who support the use of technology in our school district. That includes our librarians, our digital learning specialists, myself, all of the lovely ladies in our PEAMS department, and our technology department. I didn't even know. I didn't either. Me neither. <laughs> but, but I like Hershey Symphony, by the way, if you would like to appreciate me. <laughs> I love it. No, it's, it's, um, it's a great thing that TCA does. Um, there's so many people that support all the technology from, you know, the printers, the small things you have someone come out and see. It's all the many complex problems that happen that you never know about. It's a lot of hard work by a lot of very talented and very dedicated individuals. And it's awesome that TCA takes a week to, to appreciate them. So I can pat myself on the back? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> go right ahead. I'm going to go on campus tomorrow and pat some other people on the back because we have a load of 
teachers on campus who uh, our digital learning leads on campus who I can't make any of this stuff float without them they're they're pretty fantastic big shout out to our digital learning leads our administrators on campus that support mm-hmm. all the all the things that we're doing our curriculum instruction department that helps support all of those things that we do and teach me things in our platforms um, like happened this morning so that's a that's a cool week Thank you for listening to episode three of Did You Know? It was a long one. And please look at our newsletter to help have all the visual guides, the videos, the GIFs, the, all the different visuals we made on there. Join us for episode four. Coming soon. Merry Christmas. <laughs>